coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our great friends at MyBookie. And by the time you are listening to this episode, the Super Bowl will have been played, which means that football is over. It's done for, I don't even want to count how many months, too many months. But it's all right, guys. We can't bet on football anymore for a while, but there's still plenty of action out there for you to get in on. College basketball is about to take center stage with March Madness just a little over a month away. The NBA is still going strong. At the NBA, the NBA All-Star Game will be played next weekend. And of course, Major League Baseball is literally just around the corner. So there's so many options left for you guys to bet on. So jump in on the action while you can. And there's no better place to do that than my bookie. And they could not make it any easier for you guys to get started today. Just go to mybookie.ag, sign up for a brand new account, and when you do, use our promo code UGA, and you can still get that 50% bonus on your first deposit. So get in on that while you can, and bet anything, anytime, anywhere, only with mybookie. All right, guys, I am your host, Tyler, and today I have some things I have got to get off of my chest And I know that I often say that this show is for you guys, and that is very much still the case. This show is for all of you. We try to produce a a show designed for you guys, the most diehard fans in the Georgia fan base. You know that. But today's episode, I'm not going to lie, is just as much for me as it is for you. Because I'm in a bad place right now, guys. I'm in a bad place with Georgia basketball, and I just need to talk through some stuff. And I'm sure a lot of you, at least those of you who care about Georgia hoops, and if you're listening to this episode, I hope that's you. I know a lot of you are right there with me. So how about this? Let's do a joint therapy session for all of us Georgia basketball addicts out there who can't kick the habit no matter how many times we swear we're going to. I think we need that right now. I know I do. I don't want to speak for anyone else out there, but if you are like me, you need this right now. So with no midweek game this week, it's one of those rare weeks where we don't have a midweek game during the conference slate. Every team has one during the conference schedule. With that being the case this week for us, let's just go ahead. Let's go ahead. Let's kick off the week with our UGA hoops report. I know we've been running this at the end of the week, the past couple weeks, but it just makes sense right now while the emotions are still fresh. Let's get this all out there and let's start the recovery process. And right now, guys, I am at a loss with this team. And not so much this team, more so the program. After losing to a downright terrible Arkansas team that has largely quit on its season, losing to them last night, any lingering hope that we had of making the tournament evaporated into thin air. It's done. It's over. We got to face it. And I told you guys last week on the Hoops Report that our NCAA tournament hopes were on live support, hanging on by a thread, but it was still kind of somewhat possible we had to avoid the bad losses, which, let's make no mistake about it, last night, I know it's on the road, who freaking cares, that is a terrible loss, that's the worst loss of the season. So for all practical purposes, our tournament hopes, they're gone, they're done, it's over. And that stark realization hit me last night, and to be quite frank, it 
took the air out of me. You would think I would be used to this kind of thing because it's just been the case for most of my adult life, most of my life in general. At this point, guys, if we do not make the tournament this year, which it's looking like that's almost, I don't want to say impossibility, but barring the most miraculous run of miraculous runs, we are not going to make the tournament this year, which means we will have made three NCAA tournaments in 22 seasons. Let that soak in. Three tournaments, 22 seasons. This will make nine consecutive seasons that we have missed out on the tournament, which is by far the longest current NCAA tournament drought in the SEC. We are the Vanderbilt of SEC basketball. That's what we are. Vanderbilt football is the equivalent of what we are in the SEC basketball landscape. That's what we are. Now, I know for the vast majority of the Georgia fan base, that doesn't really bother them because they don't really care about Georgia basketball. They never really tune in. They don't really have any finger on the pulse. They have really no idea what's going on. It's just on the periphery if it's even there. But for people like me and people like most of you listening out there, that is a tough pill to swallow when you think about it like that. And it's quite frankly unacceptable. It really is. It's unacceptable. Vanderbilt football, we know they have challenges that make it difficult for them to compete at the level of the other SEC teams, their SEC brethren. That is not the case for Georgia basketball. We do not have those challenges. Sure, you can say we don't have much of a basketball history, but that's our own doing. That's not an institutional thing where we have these insane academic standards for athletes that make it very difficult to recruit the best players in the country. It's a great school. Georgia's an awesome university, but the academic standards don't hinder us the way they do at at Vanderbilt in terms of, of getting athletes admitted to the university and then also keeping them eligible. We also have a large, passionate fan base. No, not as much in basketball, but still a large, passionate fan base. And when Georgia basketball is good, you saw it. When we look like we might make the tournament early this year, people are showing up. The Steg's been rocking. The, the rest of the home games are sold out. We have a fan base that when we're good, we'll care. Vanderbilt, even when they're good, they don't really have a fan base that cares. So there's no excuse. There's no excuse for us to be this consistently awful in basketball. But that is the reality of the situation. That is the stark reality. And that hit me last night. That hit me like a ton of bricks. And uh, it's been 24 hours of trying to uh, come to terms with what we are as a basketball program. And it really is, guys. It is difficult for me to articulate the sheer volume of emotional torment and anguish that supporting this program has afflicted me with. That's why I, I go back to what I said at the outset of the show. I equate it to being an addict of sorts, right? I mean, think about it. You love the highs so much, despite how increasingly where they have become over the years. When we win a big game, we beat Kentucky at home. When we start 4-2 and two in conference play, we look like we might have a shot to make the NCAA tournament. Those highs, and, and really even just like the thought of those highs, is so intoxicating that it keeps you coming back for more. And so much so that you are willing to literally put yourself through hell, fully aware of what you are doing to yourself, coming back time and time and time again. And I've lost count, guys. I've lost count of how many times over the years that I have promised that I am done with this program only to be right back there in Stegman or in front of the TV on my sofa for the next game, hoping that it's going to be different this time. I, I've lost count how many times, and, and that's on me. You know, that's on me. The joke's on me. I'm the I'm the idiot. I'm the one that keeps on coming back for more when disappointment is all we ever get. And you know what? It's never different. 
I mean, yes, yeah, sure, the shades of failure have varied. You know, we had the Mark Fox tenure where we were close, but we only got we got in twice. So give Fox credit for that. But you know, we would get the, we would get close. We'd be knocking on the door of the tournament, but we would just never quite be able to break through. Uh, then you got the Tom Crean years where yeah, we bottomed out in his final year. But I mean, well, yeah, we bottomed out under Crean. Failure is still failure, right? I mean, I I know there's degrees of it, there's shades of failure, but at the end of the day, the end result's the same thing. We're not making it to the NCAA tournament. Again, three times, 22 seasons. I mean, who cares if we win a few more games if we don't actually make it to the tournament? And let me put it another way. We're gearing up for an election year, right? This is an election year. November, we'll have another presidential election. Well, let's say that you are one of the two candidates, right? Running for president. Who cares how many states you won if you don't win the election? It's irrelevant. All that matters is winning the election. How close your loss was is only going to be a footnote in history. Very few people will remember that. What people will remember is the guy who won the election. It's kind of the same thing with our basketball program. It's like, okay, so yeah, we're winning a, we're winning more games now than we were under Tom Crean a couple years ago, but at the end of the day, we're still not getting the tournament. And this is not college football where beating your rival, beating Auburn, beating Florida carries as much weight. In college football, yes, we're all playing for a chance to win a national championship, and ultimately that's what you're going for, but there are only a handful of programs that can realistically do that. There are many programs out there that beating their rival is their number one priority every single year because that's the most realistic goal they have. And so as a fan base, you can draw, you can draw great satisfaction and to a degree feel contented if you just beat your rivals. In college basketball, it's not really the case. It's about getting the tournament. And in that regard, we have so woefully fallen short. I mean, after the game last night, you know, I love college basketball. So our game was at six. There were some other games on after that. I was trying to watch some other games after after our loss. But man, I, I, I wasn't really watching them. I was trying to, but I wasn't really. Yeah, the games were on. My eyes were looking at the screen, but I wasn't really watching them. You know what I mean? Like I was just blankly staring at the TV as I tried to calculate just how many hours of my life I have wasted watching Georgia hoops with no return on investment, how much money have I poured into this program? How many hours of my life have I invested in Georgia basketball? And there has been zero return on my investment, at least over the last decade. And really, for the better part of my, my entire life, more or less. And yeah, I know that's on me. I know no one has a gun to my head making me watch these games, making me come back to Stegman time and time again, making me to drop making me drop more cash over and over again. But, you know, this is this is how college sports work, right? I mean the red and black is in my blood. It's in my blood, guys. So I can't help it. I cannot help but keep on coming back time and time again. That's just that's how I'm I'm wired, guys. And so yeah, there's a lot of people out there like me. The university knows it. And for a long time I feel like they kind of just were coasting when it comes to basketball. Now I do think we're starting to get more serious about it. But at this point, everyone else in the SEC has just separated themselves so far from us because we were asleep at the wheel for so long that it's a, it's a tough climb out of it, out of this hole. And yesterday was particularly tough. I, I know that like, we've lost games. Like why, why is this coming out now, Tyler? Why now? Well, that game last night was tough for me, guys. It was tough for me to watch because I... Again, it's my fault. I had let myself believe that this year was the year. I was cautiously optimistic to open the season. Cautiously optimistic. I felt like we had retooled our roster. I felt we had improved our roster. I still believe that we have. I mean, pretty clearly, we have improved our roster. So 
I was cautiously optimistic. Can we win some of these non-conference games? We were challenging ourselves in the non-con more than we did a year ago, more than we have in a while. Could we get a couple of them and then get to maybe 9-9, 10-8 in the SEC and then win a couple games in the tournament and, and along the way in the SEC, maybe pull an upsetter here or there and get a couple quad one victories? That was that was my thought. I was like, yeah, maybe maybe we can do this. And then as the season started, okay, we lost a couple games early. The the Thanksgiving tournament in the Bahamas didn't go as planned, right? We didn't get any wins there. Lose to Miami, lose to Providence. But then we come back and we 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 recover. We we beat Wake Forest, who that's about to become a quad one win. Let's put that out there. It's about to become a quad one win. Beat Wake Forest at home. We go on the road and we come back and beat Florida State down 17 at one point in that game, come back and win that game late, and then we beat Georgia Tech. So we win three ACC conference, non-conference games. So all right, it, it wasn't the best non-con slate, but they, we we held our own, and now we've got a shot. If we can do a little something in the SEC, maybe pull an upset here or there, maybe we can make a run to the to the NCAA tournament, maybe. And then we start out 4-2, and two, and we almost beat Tennessee. We pushed Tennessee, and I'm taking heart from them. Like, hell yeah. Like We didn't close the deal, but man, we were right there. We're clearly so much better than we were a year ago. Then on the road at Florida, make a massive comeback in that game. Look like we're about to win at the end of regulation, and we end up blowing it there. You come back home, Alabama jump out to a 17-2 lead, 14-point halftime lead, double-digit lead for about 75% of that game, and then we end up blowing that one. So the way I was looking at it for a while was, all right, look, I know that we're not winning these games. We didn't beat Tennessee. We didn't win at Florida. We didn't beat Alabama at home, but we are competitive in these games and we're pushing these teams. Like we're winning, especially Tennessee and Alabama, we're winning both those games against top 10 net teams for like 80% of those games. Now, yeah, we got to figure out a way to close and actually win those games, but hey, this team is still good and there's still opportunities out there on the road at Mississippi State. We're going to we're gonna go to Auburn. We got Auburn at home. We got a couple more quad one opportunities. So maybe there's hope because this team is playing well. Even though we haven't beat those, those top 10 caliber teams, we've shown signs of being able to do so. So I I, I let myself believe, guys. And a lot of you didn't. And uh, I, I, hey, you're the smart ones. I'm the idiot here. I'm the idiot. I let myself believe that this year was maybe possibly the year. But yesterday was the final straw. And, and I saw the writing on the wall. I mean, I said last week on, on the show in our Hoops Report that our tournament hopes weren't dead necessarily, but they were on life support. But there was still a chance, right? We just had to, you had to go on a little bit of a run, which is possible. But after last night, no, that's the final straw. It's over. It's done. We are not going to the NCAA tournament. And I and I put some of this out there on social media last night. And some of you agreed with me, expressed that you were right there with me. Others encouraged me to have a little perspective. I mean, hey, after all, we are making progress. Two years ago, we were six and twenty-six, one and seventeen. The SEC. Hey, we're making progress. Like, just take solace in that fact. And look, guys. That's who I've been. That's who I am. I am Mr. Let's find the positive here. Okay. Especially when it comes to Georgia basketball, because I know where this program has been. You know, we talked about this a couple weeks ago and I was, I was encouraging you guys. I even put a video out after the Alabama loss. Like, man, that one hurts. That one sucks, you know, but Hey, like that's a little bit of perspective here. I mean, this is a team that blew us out by 40 points last year. And like we, we had this game and yeah, we blew, we need to close it, but like, we're right there. We're competing with the top 10, the top teams in the SEC. It's just a matter of time. And, and we're going to, we're going to figure this out sooner rather than later. So I've been the one preaching perspective and patience while other people were flipping out after we blew those games to Alabama and Tennessee and came up short against Florida. You guys know me. Those of you who have been around here long enough, listen to this podcast long enough, you know that I am typically a very measured individual, especially when it comes to Georgia athletics and, and college sports in general. I am not a reactionary kind of guy. 
I am a very deliberate thinker and I look at the big picture. I take in a lot of context. That's generally how I operate. And that's how I have been operating with this basketball team really all season. But now after a five-game losing streak and losing that game to a very, very bad Arkansas team, I no longer have that perspective. I'm human, guys. I mean, hey, at the end of the day, I'm a diehard Georgia fan just like you guys are. And I feel these things just like you guys do. And last night got me. It got me because there's no more putting a spin on it after last night. It, it's, it is what it is right now. Like we are not going to the NCAA tournament. And that's, that's a tough pill to swallow. And look, Mike White has undeniably raised the level of play. And that's what a lot of people were trying to tell me on social media last night and into today. And I totally agree with that. Yeah, we are better than what we were under Tom Crean. Clearly, we have improved in, in, I mean, just one year last year, in two short years, we were in a very different place than where we, where we were two years ago under Tom Crean. White has undeniably raised level play and brought our program a greater degree of national respect. But in doing so, he's basically brought us right back to where we were under Mark Fox. Like, this is the Mark Fox era, and I know it's only two years in, so like we can't say like that's what it's always going to be. There is still hope that we can be better, but through two years, we're basically right back where we were pre-Tom Crean, albeit in a better league, I will say. Give Mike White the benefit of the doubt here. The SEC is far better than it was when Mark Fox was here, but we're right back to, okay, we're competitive. We're pushing these teams. We can find a way to upset a team here and there. Other coaches will talk about how much they respect our head coach and, and how great he is and how, how much we should appreciate him and how grateful we should be that he is our head coach, but... At the end of the day, we're still not good enough. Now, again, with Mike White, it's a little bit different because I have hope that there is a brighter day with Mike White. We've seen it with him in the SEC at Florida. All the Georgia's different job. We've seen him do it in the SEC, and he has done a great job recruiting. All of those things are very, very true, very different from Mark Fox. So it's not an exact parallel. Clearly, Mark Fox had issues recruiting, and the guy had nine years. So there's that. But, I mean, where we are right now through two years with Mike White is, yeah, we're better than we were under Tom Cream when we bottomed out, but we're basically right back where we were four or five years ago. I do believe, I still believe this, at least I still want to believe this. I still believe the future is bright and it will happen. We are going to get back to the NCAA tournament. I believe that. I believe it will happen soon-ish, but that belief does not make it any easier to swallow in the here and now. And that's why I had to come on here and vent today, guys. Like, I just, it's been nine years, man. And for someone who not only loves Georgia basketball as much as I do and is as invested in Georgia basketball as I am, someone who just loves college basketball, man. Like, I eat this stuff up. I love it. And every March, I just can't help but wish we were there. I'm so jealous, guys. I'm so jealous of all these fans, these fan bases who get to experience that on a relatively regular basis, where it's kind of just a birthright. They're going to be in the NCAA tournament. Now, for them, they're like, hey, okay, we're, we're always in the NCAA tournament, so their goals are different. Like, we got to advance. For us, I should, first, I mean, clearly I want to advance at some point, but I just want to get there first, and I, I'm jealous. Like, you, you sit down, you watch the, all those games that Thursday and Friday, the first Thursday, first Friday of the tournament, and all the excitement, the energy. I, I mean, those are two of the best days in all of sports. I love those two days. And all I want is for us to be in it. Like I said last night on, on Twitter, and I'll reiterate it here, I, I cannot put into words how much I just want to be able to watch us lose on the first Thursday of the Insulate Tournament again. Like, I want that so badly. I'd sell a kidney, guys. I would sell a kidney right now, right now, to be able to watch us just lose in the first round, that first Thursday of the NCAA tournament. That, that's how badly I want it. 
But I just, you know, after last night's loss, it's like, okay, yeah, like, are we getting closer to getting the tournament? Yeah, I think we're getting closer than we were a couple years ago. But it's just a tough pill to swallow. Another year. Another year without an NCAA tournament. It's fine if it's one isolated year, but when it's year after year after year after year after year after year, it's tough, man. It's tough when it finally hits you that, yep, this year is going to be just another one of those years like all of the other years. But all right, guys, real quick, I do want to remind you about our friends at MyBookie. Yes, college basketball is hurting my soul right now, but I still love it. I know a lot of you guys do too. And now with football season out of the picture for a couple of months, college basketball is taking center stage. And it is time for you to get in on the action. And there's no better place to do that at than my bookie. And they have so many options to bet, guys. Like you can, of course, bet the game lines themselves. You can bet team totals. You can bet the point totals. They've got prop bets. They've got anything you can imagine you want to bet on. They've got it for you guys. So jump in on it while you can. It's so simple to get started. Go to mybookie.ag and they will hook you up, guys. With our promo code UGA, you got a 50% bonus right into your account. So you can bet even more money and put even more money in that wallet so bet anything anytime anywhere only with my bookie all right guys just a couple more quick thoughts on the basketball situation right now so i mentioned before the break i do still believe i'm still holding on to the belief that the future is bright and we're going to turn this thing around and mike white is going to get us into the NCAA tournament and all my dreams are going to come true I'm holding on to that hope, to that belief. But let's also talk about the future here for a minute. Mike White is a guy that is clearly an upgrade over Tom Crean. And I believe he's an upgrade over Mark Fox. There's a lot of things that he does really well, a lot of a lot of reasons why he is good for Georgia basketball. He is the best recruiter that we have had in a long time. Asa Newell coming in right now, I think most recently I saw him as the uh, number eight guy on the NBA big draft board for next year. Five-star prospect, going to be an instant difference maker for us on top of the, the great class that he hauled in last year. Obviously, we've seen a lot of Silas Dimery and Blue Kane. We're seeing more of Dylan James. Mari Jordan, we haven't seen any of yet, but we had a big time class next year. You add Asa Newell into that mix. Hopefully guys like RJ Melendez come back for another year. Maybe even Jabri Abdurrahim can come back and use his COVID year. Like the future looks bright from a roster standpoint. He's done a really good job recruiting and he does a good job preparing the team. I think our team, when we, when we go come out to start games, largely we are prepared. It doesn't mean that we get off the hot starts every single game, but he scouts teams well. We look, generally look prepared. I think he gets guys to play hard. I believe that he gets them to buy in. He represents the program very well. He clearly has us heading in a positive direction compared to where we were a couple years ago at the end of the Tom Crean era. So I still believe in Mike White. I still believe he's a good coach. I still believe that he will raise the profile of our program and raise our level and get us into the Insulate Tournament. But saying that, I've got to be entirely honest. After the past couple of weeks, a few questions are starting to creep in. I used to believe that almost uncritically. I was excited enough about the, the progress in year one. I was excited about the way we played through the non-conference and that we started the SEC. And yeah, we didn't win some of those games, but we were pushing teams and we hadn't been doing that in a while. We're talking about national championship caliber teams, final four caliber teams. When's the last time we've been doing that? It'd been a minute. So I, I was buying in hook, line, and sinker. Again, I, I still believe. I still believe but I don't know if I believe quite as deeply. Certainly not uncritically now, because there are a few questions 
that have started to creep in after what I have observed over the past couple of weeks. Now, I still believe, as I have maintained all season long, that our issues are largely roster-based. We are still simply outmanned when we play the better teams in our conference. And I've been okay with that because Mike White has clearly improved our roster from the point where he took it over and you look at what he's got coming in the future and it looks like it's going to be improved even more in the coming years. So I'm like, okay, I know this is where our roster is right now. It's not good enough, but we're in the process of upgrading and getting it to the point where it is going to be good enough. But in the here and now, in the short term, I still believe the primary issue has been roster deficiencies. We're just not good enough, right? Like we're good enough to compete. We're not good enough to beat these teams. And sure, yes, you can say that's progress in and of itself, and I would not argue with that, but I go back to what I said earlier. The goal is in the tournament. We're still not there yet. So the roster has been the, the problem, the main problem this season. But whatever the roster is, whatever deficiencies we may have from a roster standpoint, and we clearly do in my opinion, whoever is on that roster, whoever you have to work with, they should be getting better as the season progresses. Our team should improve as the season goes on. It shouldn't matter where you're starting from, the talent you have to work with. It doesn't matter. Your team, your players should get better as the season goes on. And for two years in a row, that has clearly not happened with this Georgia basketball team. It has. Not with this year's team, not with last year's team. We have regressed. We have regressed this year. We regressed last year. Hell, we started this, the conference 4-1 and one last year, guys. We ended up 6-12. and 12. And by the end of the year, you can make a really strong argument that we were the worst team in the league. That was not the case early in the season. We were, I, I would argue that we were the worst team in the league by the end of the year. Like, we lost that terrible LSU team in the tournament. That's, that's how bad we had gotten. Yeah, now injuries had something to do with it, yes. Terry Roberts missed some time. Aquindo missed a little bit of time. Like There were some injuries that we had to deal with, sure, but we regressed as a team last year. And the same thing is happening right now. And I laid out the numbers for you last week. I mean, you can go back and check out that episode. You can listen to those numbers. But, I mean, everything has declined, guys, as the season has progressed. Now, yes, the SEC, when you get into the, into the conference slate, and it's a really good league, but probably the second best league behind the Big 12, yeah, you're playing better teams. So you're not going to probably put up as quite, quite as good numbers as you did in the non-con. But, I mean, guys, we're talking about a precipitous drop-off. We've dropped to the point now where our field goal defense is the worst in the SEC. I mean, it's abysmal, and that was our strength to open the year. I mean, offensively, we were very much a work in progress, but defensively, that was keeping us in games and allowing us to win some of those games. I mean, defensively, we're a sieve right now, guys. Teams that just can't score, they're scoring almost at will on us. Defensive rebounding has been a problem all year, but it continues to be a problem. There's been no improvement there. We're turning the ball over far more than we were early in the season. Our offensive rhythm doesn't seem as sharp as it was early in the season. I mean, you guys have watched these games just like I have. I mean, it's clear. We have regressed. I mean, can you even argue that point? We have regressed. And that's now happened two years in a row. So that's what I'm talking about when I say, like, there's some questions starting to creep in. It's like, okay, Mike White's done some really good things for us. He's elevated our program. We're playing at a higher level. We're recruiting at a higher level. We're improving the roster. But we're not getting better throughout the season. And typically, one of the, the signs of a good coach is that your team improves as the season goes on. And I do believe that Mike White's a good coach. He's proven that. Now, he hasn't proven to be an elite coach. He's proven to be a good to very good coach. But right now, we're not seeing that improvement. And that is at least somewhat concerning for me. 
I'm also starting to seriously question his in-game adjustments, like his in-game coaching. Again, I think he does a really good job, generally speaking, of getting us prepared for games and game planning for teams. But when teams adjust to what we're doing or they start to attack us in a way that exploits our deficiencies, he has not really shown the ability to, to find answers. I know I've talked about it a couple of weeks in a row, but I go back to the floor game. This is, that was really the first time that it hit me. I was like, whoa, 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 okay. Why are we not making any adjustments? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? The the high ball screen where they went to it over and over and over again in the second half. They got Chi. We were switching on it. And they got Chiwa matched up on their guards on the switch time and time again. And, of course, their guards, Pullen and Clayton and Richard, they were just getting to the rim at will and were finishing with easy layups. And if a basketball novice such as myself can sit there and figure out what's going on, how can Mike White not figure this out? You have to, it, it's so obvious. Like he's a smart man. He's a good basketball coach. He sees what's going on, but refused to adjust, to make any adjustments in that game. Now, I'll give him credit. Later in other games, we started to defend the high ball screen differently when other teams went to it, just like Florida did. So I'll give him credit. Again, preparing our team between games, heading into games, but in the actual action of the game. He is not making adjustments quickly enough, and it's costing us. And this is where I will go to Saturday night's game at Arkansas as another example. We went to that 1-3-1 one, one zone in the second half, and yes, it was effective when we first started to pull it out, and it allowed us to make a run to come back into that game. But they started to figure it out as the second half wore on, and they were able to exploit it. It was very clear what we were doing. I mean, what we're doing right now in general defensively is we are stretching the defense out especially with how teams have been just knocking down threes against us. I, I get what we're trying to do there. But we went to the 1-3-1, one, one, and we had Chiwa playing way too high. Honestly, if we're playing a 1-3-1, one, one, Chiwa should not be in the game, all right? Like, that is not a defense that fits his skill set. That That is a defense where we need to be using either Jalen Deloach or Frank Anselm. Chiwa just does not have the, the foot quickness to be able to effectively operate in that 1-3-1, one, one, in the middle of the 1-3-1. One, one. And he was extending out far too high in the second half, in that 1-3-1, and it was creating easy cut opportunities to the basket. It was creating easy pick and roll opportunities to the basket, and they were just dicing us up in that 1-3-1, and we never went out of it. We never went out. We just didn't adjust. We said, okay, it was working for a little while, so we're just going to keep going with it, even if they start to dice it up and start to exploit it. It's fine. We're just going to keep going with it. And look, I applaud the effort to try something different because we have not been good enough defensively. I've been wanting us to try out some different zones for a couple of weeks now, seeing what, what's happened to us defensively. So I applaud the effort, right? Preparation, getting us prepared, be able to pull that out and help us get back in that game and have a chance to win it. But when they start to adjust to it, we also have to make adjustments at that time within the game, and we aren't doing that consistently enough. And that's a coaching thing. Yes, we do have some player deficiencies. I still think that's the biggest issue, a roster deficiency. But... You can also help the roster out by adjusting more quickly and more effectively within game. So yeah, I am starting to have a few questions about Mike White and how bright the future might actually be. I still do believe, as I said, that he's going to get us to the tournament eventually. I have seen enough positive signs to say that that's still something that I believe. I think that he will get the roster to that point. But some of these in-game coaching decisions are, are starting to get me to at least question things to some small degree. I also think he's gotten desperate. I do not like the juggling of the lineups from game to game the way that we've done over the past couple of games. I don't think the players are responding to that. And honestly, I think some of the personal decisions are 
are somewhat baffling. R.J. Melendez, for about three or four games, about three games, became our best offensive weapon. And then because we lose a couple games, now he's playing like 15 minutes a game. Okay, so maybe it was two games. So 35 points, obviously, against Florida. Almost single-handedly brought us back to win that game. Then 15 points against Alabama. So in those, he got a start. So 33, 33 minutes, 28 minutes. Played 30 minutes against South Carolina. Now against South Carolina, he only had six points in that game. Only took five shots. But after that, 15 minutes, 60 minutes. Like, so what did he do in the South Carolina game that cut his minutes in half? Like, that's what happened. Over the past two games, his minutes have been cut in half. And look, I get wanting to play Dylan James more. I, I've advocated that for that myself. But RJ is still one of our best defenders. And while he's not going to consistently drop, you know, 35 points, 20 points, he's still a very capable scorer. And as I said last week, I am not a fan of Justin Hill and Silas Dimery on the court at the same time because neither one of those guys are, are shooters. They're really not. I'm not saying they can't knock down a shot. They can knock down a shot if they're really open, but they're not really shooters. Both of them, their best attribute is getting to the rim. Now, as we talked about, Hill has a lot of trouble finishing over length. Dimery, bigger body, longer body, can do that much better. But when both those guys are in the game at the same time, it compacts the floor. It creates more traffic in the lane because no one really has to respect those guys as much out in the three-point line. They can dig, they can cheat a little bit more on drives, and it makes it more difficult for those guys to actually get to the rim and do what they do best. Now, I know they both had good games last night. They were the only two that actually did anything offensively, 19, 18 points respectively. But I really don't love them playing together. So there's just some questions I have about both his personal decisions and his in-game adjustments. But yeah, that's uh, that's just where we are right now. It's um, it's frustrating, man. It's very, very frustrating. Obviously, I'm going to keep coming back. Uh, I'll be going to the home games. I'll be watching all these games. It's just kind of how I roll. And look, I, I still going to be pulling hard for these guys. And I love this team. I still love this team. These guys play really, really hard. And they all seem like good dudes. So I'm pulling hard for them. But right now, I just don't really think we're playing for the NCAA tournament anymore. I mean, I guess technically there's a chance if we, ba- if we, we basically have to win out and beat Auburn twice. Probably have to go at least five and, I mean, not win out. We have to go probably five and two down the stretch with two of those five wins coming against Auburn and then win another game or two in the SEC tournament. Maybe that will get us in. But while that's not impossible, think about it, guys. With how this team is playing right now, the team that you have watched over the past two weeks, you really think that's going to happen? Like, I want to believe. I want to be wrong here. But let, let's be real with ourselves. Is that really going to happen? No, it's not. It's extraordinarily unlikely. So right now, the way I look at it is we are playing to create momentum for next year, to create a situation where we're going to have a better pool of transfers to choose from, to raise our profile where we are more attractive to those top transfers, to raise our profile where we are more attractive to the top high school players in the country. And we're, we're already getting there with guys like Asa Newell, but that's what we're playing for right now. Like just We're playing for momentum and really playing for next year. And it sucks to have to say that sitting here on February 11th. So, all right, guys, that's our joint Georgia basketball addicts therapy session for the day. I do have one more thing I want to talk about when we get back from the break. I'm going to talk a little football. We had a transfer commitment on Friday that we need to talk about. But first, I do want to remind you guys about our great friends at Alumni Hall. Georgia baseball season starts this weekend. That's crazy to believe. You know, basketball has been a little bit of a downer, but hey, Baseball season, hope springs eternal, right? And Alumni Hall has all your Georgia baseball gear needs taken care of. They have a ton of new baseball stuff coming in, a lot of great gear. So stop in today inside the Etchbridge Shopping Center here in the Classic City or online at alumnihall.com and get that baseball gear so you can cheer on the Diamond Dogs as they try to make a run this year. We'll see. Wes Johnson, new head coach. There's a little excitement around the baseball program, and you want to make sure to get that Georgia baseball gear so you can head over to Foley Field and cheer on this team this season. 
Alright guys, real quick, I do have a football note for you. We are adding another big time player to the already stacked tight end room in Stanford transfer, Benjamin Urosic. This was the guy that I was alluding to a couple of weeks ago when Curtis and I were talking about our transfers and, and how much we like these guys that we already landed, but hey, we, we're still not done yet. This is the guy that I was alluding to. It's just a matter of time. Now, this is a guy that is not going to be here for spring practice. He graduates from Stanford in May, and then he will be heading to Athens right after that, so he'll be here for the summer. Now, the first thing I want to address in talking about Urosic is a question I've gotten from quite a few of you out there since he announced his commitment. Why are we taking another tight end, right? We, we, we spent all this time talking about how great our tight end room is. We're getting all these top tight ends in the country. Obviously, we've got Oscar Delp, who's the former number one tight end in the country. We've got Lawson Lucky, who we're all very high on and did some really great things as a freshman, at least in terms of practice before he got injured. Uh, we got Pierce Sperling, who's another highly rated tight end. We got Jade Riddell coming in, another super highly rated tight end. So we are loaded at that position. Why are we bringing a tight end from Stanford? Well, the first part of the answer to that question is, is, is schematic. Brock Bowers played what we call a mover tight end role for us. And that's a term that's kind of become in vogue over the past couple of years to describe like the hybrid tight ends who are out, can block, yes, but they really pose their greatest threat as pass catchers and creating mismatches in the passing game. That's what Brock was for us. And that is what Eurosic is as well. I'm not saying that we don't have anyone on our roster that can play that role. I think Oscar Delp can play that role if he drops a little bit of weight. Now, when he came into Athens, that's kind of what he was. Like He was a receiving tight end. That's what he was. He was really a mover guy, but he had to gain weight to basically play that Darnell Washington role when we have Brock Bowers. And now he's this guy that he's not Darnell Washington, but he's gained a lot of good weight and he's become a really solid blocker for us on the perimeter. He wasn't great early in the season, but he got a lot better as the season went on. So what do you do with him? Do you keep him in that role? Or do you have him drop weight and go back to more of that mover tight end role? Or do you maybe try to have him play that mover tight end role at the weight that he is right now? But I don't know if he fully fits that role at his current weight. I just don't know. Lawson Lucky is a guy that certainly could play that mover tight end role. I think Pierce Sperlin, he's an interesting guy. In high school, Pierce just basically played receiver. He didn't really play tight end, but you knew with his frame and his body, he was going to play tight end in college. But he's also added some good weight during this past season, which is, I mean, more or less a redshirt season for him. And uh, he, he spent that time working out, getting bigger, adding good weight. And with his frame, his size, like I don't even know if he's really now a true mover tight end. So I think that's why you bring this guy because that is what Urosic is. Like He is a straight-up, legit mover hybrid tight end. He's not Brock Bowers. Let's go ahead and get that out of the way. He is not Brock Bowers because no one is Brock Bowers. That dude is as rare as it gets. So no one should expect Brock Bowers-esque production. That's not what you're going to see. But saying that, I also would caution you, don't expect this guy just to be a depth piece. Don't think that this is just a guy that we're bringing over from Stanford to sit on the bench and just kind of back up these guys in case somebody gets injured. No, 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 no. This guy is legit. Now, I know what a lot of you probably did is you probably pulled up his numbers right away and you looked at last year you're like, oh, man, I mean, like, why are we taking this guy? Like, he didn't put up any numbers. Well, okay, let, let's talk about that. He missed about half of last season with injuries. It derailed his season last year. So yeah, he ended up with only 16 catches for 239 yards, but he only played in half of their games last year, okay? And even those games he played, he wasn't fully healthy. If you go back and look at his production as a freshman and sophomore, then you get a better look at what this guy's capable of. As a freshman, 42 catches, 653 yards. And as a sophomore in 2022, 49 catches, 445 yards. And let's also put this in the context and understand that this, fresh, that this Stanford offense 
was a disaster his first two years on the farm. When you put on his tape, and if you actually watched him play, because I saw this guy play a bunch over the past couple of years. I'm not going to sit here and try to tell you that I watch every Stanford game. I don't, but I probably watch two or three Stanford games a year. Not because I'm seeking out Stanford, because I'm typically watching their opponents. I usually watch them play USC. I watch them play Notre Dame. So I watch a couple games a year, and I've seen this guy play. And when I had no thought in the world this guy was ever going to end up at Georgia, I was like, all right, that dude's pretty good. For a while, Stanford had this tradition of really good tight ends. And I'm like, man, this guy might be like the next great Stanford tight end. He is very talented. And again, hear me when I say this. He has not brought Bowers, but he can do some Brock Bowers type things. We can use him in a very similar way that we use Brock Bowers. He's not going to be as good as Brock Bowers. He won't do those things as well as Brock Bowers, but we can use him in a lot of the same ways. We do a lot of the same things we do with Brock. We can we can do with Jurassic. We can use him in the tight end screen game. We can use him in the RPO game. We can get him out in space and he can make people miss. Now, he's not going to run through people the way that Brock did, but he is an athletic tight end that can make people miss in space. He is a mismatch for linebackers and safeties. And while blocking might not be his greatest strength, he's still a good perimeter blocker. He can function in line. He can give you explosiveness from the tight end position. He's got very good hands. This guy is a legitimately very good football player. And if you don't believe me, if you don't want to take my word for it, just think about this. We do not take players from the transfer portal unless A, we think we have a big need for it, and B, we think that guy can play and help us immediately. Think about the guys that we've taken from the portal recently. Think about these guys, right? So you go back and say Tyke Smith, right? Now it didn't work out right away because he had some injuries that he had to deal with. Now, if he hadn't gotten injured, maybe he would have been a factor before this year. Who knows? But then you can think about a guy recently like Dominic Lovett. You think about Ra Ra Thomas. When we bring guys in from the portal, they typically end up playing a big role for us. And that's not an accident. We go after guys that, again, we think we need and we think can help us right away. And Eurostic, in my opinion, fits both of those criteria. And it absolutely would not surprise me to see him be out there with the starting offense week one in Atlanta against Clemson, playing that mover tight end role. Lawson Lucky will certainly have something to say about that, and he will not be handed anything. He will have to go earn it, but I believe this guy is a really good football player, and he might actually be the best fit for us at that mover tight end position. If he was coming in the spring, it was going to be here for spring practice, I actually would feel pretty comfortable saying, I think he's probably going to be our starter at that position to open the season. With him getting here in the summer and having to play catch up in a reduced amount of time, that does complicate things. He won't have as much time to make a move, but I don't know, man. I still think he has a very strong chance to be that guy to open the season. It's not a done deal. It's not a done deal, but at the very least, this guy is going to be a contributor for us. Like he is going to play. Will he start? I don't know yet. I want to hear what I have once he gets here on campus. But based off what I've seen from him in his playing time at Stanford, based on what I know about our roster at tight end, while yes, it is loaded, do we still do we have that guy that is a true mover tight end? I think there's a good chance. I think there's a good chance that he's going to come in and, and take that starting position to open the season. It might also be a sign that we are maybe not going to move away from the 12 personnel as much as I thought maybe we would after Brock left. You know, we've been in 12 personnel for, what, three years now with Brock because you have to be when you have the tight ends that we have and Brock Bowers on the team. You've got to be. You can't not have this guy on the field. But without Brock, it's like, okay, well, now we have to do the, 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 the calculations here. Are our tight ends better 
than our receivers, like whoever would be the third receiver. We're never going to completely abandon 12 personnel, but I thought maybe there was a chance next year that we would use more 11 personnel with the receivers that we got from the portal and Brock moving on. It was certainly something that was on my mind. But now with us bringing in Urosic, it makes me go back and think, huh, maybe we are going to stick more with 12 personnel than maybe I thought we were going to when Brock left. That still remains to be seen, but at the very least, it is a it is a sign that we do have intentions of keeping 12 personnel around and a major feature of this offense, if not the defining feature of this offense. But yeah, Benjamin Urosic from Stanford. He'll be here this summer. I'm excited about that. I think he's going to help us, guys. He will be yet another weapon for Carson Beck to work with. But that is all I have for you today, guys. I will be back a couple more times later this week. Midweek, we're actually going to do a Georgia baseball preview episode. We do this every single year. I know that baseball, college baseball isn't the biggest sport out there, but I know that we do have a pretty good contingent of college baseball fans out there, certainly listening to the show because I hear from you guys. And I'm excited about this season. I know that you are with Wes Johnson coming in. So I will have that Georgia baseball preview for you guys to get you ready for this Georgia baseball season. So I'm excited about that, and I hope that you are too. And we will definitely have some more football talk later this week. In fact, let's just go ahead and do a mailbag episode. Let's just say that we're going to do a mailbag episode because i got a bunch of questions coming in that that I need to get to. So if you have any questions that you have not sent in yet, please go ahead and send those in. You can hit us up on Twitter at Glory underscore UGA. You can find us on Instagram, Glory UGA Podcast. And you can email us at Glory UGA Podcast at gmail.com. And I will get to as many of those questions as I can. But have a great week, guys. I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs.